Welcome to the August 15th episode of the Enjoying the Bible podcast. I'm Matt Ellis, and I'm the pastor of the First Baptist Church in Polk City, Florida. Now, before we get to the reading, I just want to let you know of one thing that I've mentioned a a time or two in a few of the most recent podcasts, and that is that I'm going to be teaching a free theology class at uh, First Baptist Church uh, here in Polk City, Florida, beginning Thursday evening, um, August the 18th. And uh, if you are interested in this, and it's free, you know, if you're interested in this, even if you don't live in the area, uh, you can uh, watch it. We're going to try to live stream it. it. The classes are at seven o'clock on Thursdays, but not every Thursday night. And so you would go to fbcpolkcity.com, and uh, at seven o'clock on Thursdays, beginning the eight August the 18th, uh, you'll be able to watch that. Uh, if you want more information on this, you can go to my website, uh, mattsmusings.net, and uh, one of the first articles that you'll see up at the top, it uh, has something like systematic theology class, and you can go there, and at the very bottom of that post, you can actually download the syllabus. Uh The uh, thing that I think that would make this class the most helpful for you is to actually purchase the textbook. And it's about $35 if you go to Amazon. Some other places, maybe you can get it a little bit less expensive. Um, But the textbook is not essential to this class because basically the lectures on Thursday are going to be a repackaging um, a, a, a desire to explain the high points or the things that I see as the most important in those chapters. Uh, one other thing, and I know this is a lot, but hey, you know, you can hit pause, you can go back and listen to, to what I've said. But also, every Thursday night, I'm going to have handouts. And the handouts are essentially the outline as it shows up in the textbook. Uh, you can get those outlines by going to our church website, fbcpolkcity.com. And then up at the top, on the top bar, it says sermons. Well, under there, if you hover over it or if you click, I think it's if you hover over it, it has sermon notes below there. And so you can go to sermon notes and uh, download the, uh, the uh, lecture notes for that week and print those out and then be ready to watch the class. So anyway, just wanted to let you know that is a possibility. It's an opportunity for you uh, to get into a theology class for free. There's going to be no tests, no quizzes, no attendance. It's whoever wants to be a part of it can, and you can join in and drop out anytime you want. Well, today's reading, and I apologize, I'm getting this out late, but today's reading is Psalm 91 through 93 and then Romans chapter 15, but you know the spill. We're only going to look at the New Testament reading in this podcast, so let's get started. All right, so as we look at Romans 15, uh, the Apostle Paul is dealing with a few topics in this chapter, but if we were to give this chapter an overarching theme, um, it would be something along the lines of, don't live your life for yourself, live it for others. Essentially, that would be it. And in fact, we see that beginning to be unpacked in in, in verses 1 through 3 of uh, Romans 15. So let's look at this. Romans chapter 15, verse 1. Now we who are strong 
have an obligation to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not to please ourselves. And so what he's talking about is he's kind of tag-teaming with what he talked about in chapter 14. Uh, Don't do what would offend a weaker brother. Um, Don't exercise what could be rightfully yours to exercise, what could be a right that you have as a Christian with understanding Christian liberty. Um, But don't feel like that your rights give you the ability to live offensively uh, for other Christians or to to do something that could legitimately offend a weaker brother. And so he's picking up there as he continues on with this next topic. At the end of verse 1, he says, and not to please ourselves. And so that's the theme of this chapter. We're not to live for ourselves, we're to live for others. Now listen to what he says in verse 3. He goes to the ultimate illustration. For even Christ did not please himself. On the contrary, and now what he does is he quotes from Psalm chapter 69, verse 9. He says, on the contrary, as it's written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. The insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. And so he's pulling from what was commonly understood by the Hebrews to be a messianic psalm. And so the Messiah was saying that the insults of those who insult you, God, have fallen on me, the Messiah. And so this is what Paul was saying, that Jesus, the Messiah, did not live to please himself. On the contrary, he took on the insults that were, that were aimed at God, but he took on them because of his relationship with the Father. And so once again, we see that Paul appeals to Jesus as the example of how we're to behave. Jesus did not live for himself. He took on himself much pain, much uh, torture. He took on himself sins because he lived for the Father and had a relationship with the Father, but also he lived and um, thought of us and our needs as he died for us there on the cross. And so... The uh, In verse 4, it talks about how it is that we're to look at the scriptures and realize that the scriptures even tell us of other people, not the perfect example of Jesus, but other people who lived in such a way that they didn't live for themselves, they lived for the Lord or they lived for others. And as we see them, then we realize that this is how a God follower is supposed to live. And so we have hope and we're able to endure able to keep on going because other people before have lived this way. We're not to live for ourselves. We're to live for the Lord. We're to live for others. And in verses uh, 5 and 6, we read that the result of living this way is harmony and unifying and unity and glorifying the Lord. In verses 5 and 6, he says, you know, if, if each of us were to live for others and not for ourselves, think of how well we could get along. Think of how it would glorify the Lord, how others would see that there's something special about this Christian community that lives for each other and not for itself. This is the way we're supposed to live. And in verse 7, he says, Therefore, welcome one another, just as Christ also welcomed you to the glory of God. And so he's saying, as we glorify God together, we should accept each other, welcome each other. We should be people that create a safe, welcoming environment. 
generally for the Christian, it's in our home and it's in our churches. Of course, it happens out beyond there, but those are the two big places where we are to demonstrate love and others-centered living. In verses 8 through 13, I'll just uh, he, he quotes from 2 Samuel, he quotes from Psalm, he quotes from Deuteronomy and Isaiah. Uh, Paul, even though he was an apostle to the Gentile, was continuing to reach out to the Jews because the Old Testament scriptures, they're not a, a, a hook for Gentiles. They, they don't even know about the Old Testament scriptures. And so by virtue of the fact that he's quoting Old Testament scriptures leads us to believe that Paul still had a heart for the Jews. He's writing this to the Gentiles, but he knows that there's going to be Jews that are reading this. And so he's pulling in the scriptures that they would highly rever and respect. And so in verses 8 through 13... Um, he shows that Jesus was others-centered, um, and it was because of that that he came to us. And as he came to us, uh, he confirmed the promises made to the patriarchs. That means he fulfilled the law, and he was a fulfillment of many of the promises. They were tied up in him. And also, because Jesus came to us, the Gentiles would come to faith and glorify God. And so since Jesus was not self-centered, although as God, he is the only one who can be self-centered and it not be sin. But yet... He was others-centered, and because of that, he was the fulfillment of the prophecies uh, that was given to the patriarchs, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and also because Jesus was others-centered, he was focused on uh, centering himself on God the Father and also to God's creation. Because of that, you and I can be saved because Jesus came. All right, so when we get to verse 14, uh, Paul is just uh, tidying up a bit before he begins to say his long goodbyes um, at the end of chapter 15 and then chapter 16. But Paul is just saying, he's just assuming his role as an apostle, as essentially the pastor over these people from a distance. And he's He's assuring them that, hey, I know y'all are growing in faith. I know that you're living out your faith. I know this, but I just want to help you grow even more. And so listen to what he's saying in verses 14 through 16. It says in verse 14, My brothers and sisters, I myself am convinced about you that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. And so it could be that Paul is not just giving them a general statement about how that they are growing in the faith and they're also instructing each other. But if we're given this topic of being others-centered, then it could be that Paul is saying, I know that y'all are living this way, but I just want to encourage you some more to keep on going. Verse 15, nevertheless, I've written to remind you more boldly on some points because of the grace given to me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, serving as a priest of the gospel of God. God's purpose is that the Gentiles may be an acceptable offering sanctified by the Holy Spirit. All Paul is saying is, well, he's certainly saying more, but not less than that he just wants them to continue to grow in grace, that he is a minister of the gospel. He just wants to help them grow so that Gentiles 
would be saved and Gentiles would grow in their relationship with the Lord. All right, so then as we come to verse 19, he says, As a result, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ from Jerusalem all the way around to Elycrium. Now, if you were to look up Elycrium, if you were to Google that, uh, you would realize that if you could imagine in your mind's eye that uh, you're looking at Israel and the Mediterranean Sea is to the, to the west of it. Well, if you go up north and hang a left and go west, well, then you're in Asia, what was commonly called Asia or Asia Minor, where Paul was preaching uh, in places like Derby and Lystra and Iconium. If you go all the way to the end of that, then you're at Ephesus. Well, if you go to the next, if you go over the body of water to the next landmass, well, you're in Greece. Well, if you go north of that and continue to go north, and I know I'm giving you directions, but if you're visual, you're following me on this. If you go north of that, you're in Elycrium. If you continued on north and then began to go south, you would be in Italy. And so Elycrium is as close as you can get to Italy and to Rome as, as you could get at that time. And so Paul said in verse 19, As a result, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ Jesus from Jerusalem all the way around to Elycrium. Now this doesn't mean that he hit every single nook and cranny. It doesn't mean that every single person heard the gospel from Jerusalem all the way to right at Rome's doorstep. He's not saying that. What he is saying is he strategically has gone to the big cities. He's gone to the big cities, and that's what Paul did. He didn't go to the countrysides. He went to the cities. He went to the, the places where lots of people were or at least a good amount of people were. And so from there, he would preach the gospel. He would ideally set up uh, bodies of believers and maybe even form churches there so that those places could go out, fan out, and reach to the countrysides. And so it was in this way that Paul essentially is saying, I have gone from Jerusalem all the way to the doorstep of Italy, you know, where Rome is, and I have strategically preached the gospel, and I have seen people in cities, I've seen people come to faith, and there are churches that have been formed. And so now those churches need to do their job and reach out in their areas. And he said, okay, so I've, I've done all of this. He said, now I want to go farther. As a result, I fully proclaim the gospel of Christ from Jerusalem all the way to Elycrium. My aim is to preach the gospel where Christ has not been named so that I will not build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who were not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. And so Paul said, you know, I've been going to places where... The gospel has not necessarily been, but the scriptures have been there. Jews have been there. There have been those who have had the sacred writings, the Old Testament scriptures, and they have had a witness. And so I have gone to a place where they, even in the Old Testament, have had passages of scripture that pointed to Christ, that pointed to his substitutionary death. If you don't believe that, just read Isaiah 53. Paul said, now, he said, I'm ready to go somewhere where the gospel's not been proclaimed. I want to go somewhere where there are no scriptures. I want to go someplace way out. 
And so whenever you get to verse 44, he mentions someplace. He mentions Spain. He said, verse 24, whenever I travel to Spain, for I hope to see you at Rome when I pass through to be assisted by and to be assisted by you for my journey there once I have first enjoyed your company for a while. Uh, Right now I'm traveling to Jerusalem, verse 25, to serve the saints because Macedonia and Achaia uh, were pleased to make a contribution to the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. At the end of verse 28, he says, I will visit you on the way to Spain. Okay, so what's going on here? We realize that the Apostle Paul clearly, in verse 24 and in verse 28, said, I want to go to Spain, and that's the Spain that we know of. The boundaries may be a little bit different, but that's the Spain that we know of, uh, where when you get past Spain, you're at the Atlantic. You're at the Atlantic. And so what we read as we are reading about this, we realize that Paul is taking uh, the offerings from the Gentiles, from the Gentiles to Jerusalem. They'd heard about how the the Christians in Jerusalem were being persecuted. Apparently, many of them were losing their jobs. Maybe the fathers were being killed or jailed, and so now their families were destitute because that's not a place where a woman can go out into the workforce, and so they didn't have government assistance. And so what Paul did is he just shared the news of what was going on on the mothership, you know? In, in Jerusalem, and uh, he, he, he sold this in a loving way to the Gentiles, and the Gentiles took up offerings. And so when Paul was going back to Jerusalem, and we read about that at the end of the book of Acts, remember when people were being moved by the Spirit and saying, Paul, don't go back, chains await you. That's this trip. That's what he's talking about in Romans 15. He's taken this love offering to Jerusalem. People are telling him, please don't go, Um, but yet he insists on going. Why? Is it just because he's being reckless? No, I don't think so. I believe that Paul, it's so clear that yes, he told the Jews twice, I'm going to the Gentiles, but we read here in, in Romans chapters 9 through 11 that his heart was for the Jews so much so that essentially he said, I could wish, if it were even possible, I could wish that I would lose my salvation if it would mean that the salvation would be given to the Jews. Paul said, that's how much I love them. That's how much I care for them. They've rejected Jesus, but that's how much I love them. And so I believe what Paul was wanting to do is Paul realized that there was a love among the Gentiles to take up a love offering to help the Jews. But what Paul wanted to do was take that love offering to Jerusalem and say, see how much the Gentiles care about you? I think Paul was wanting to show that the cross can bring the Jews and the Gentiles together. And to have that opportunity was worth being chained, was worth being chained. He wanted to, to, as it were, play on the sympathies of the Jews to see that they they could be a part of a growing family as the Gentiles were embracing the Jewish Messiah, Jesus, Yeshua. And so we did this. And in fact, we realize that as he ends what is chapter 5, 15 for us, he says this, he says, I want y'all 
to be praying for you. Those in Rome, I want you to be praying for me because I'm headed to Jerusalem, verse 30. Now I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, through our Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in prayers to God on my behalf. Okay, he said, I want you to not just pray, I want you to strive with me in prayer, wrestle with God like Jacob wrestled with the Lord. I want you to strive in prayer to God on my behalf. So what's on his behalf? What what are they to pray for? Verse 31, pray that I may be rescued from the unbelievers in Judea and that my ministry to Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints and that my God's will by God's will, I may come to you with joy and be refreshed together with you. Paul said, I want you to pray that I'm going to show up and that I'm going to be rescued from those that have tried to kill me before, that I'm going to be rescued from them. Well, he was rescued from them, but he was rescued from them in chains. In fact, he was chained in Jerusalem, and then it was told that a mob was going, and we read about this in Acts, a mob was going to uh, kill him, that they had taken a vow not to eat anything until they'd killed him. And so Paul was taken by night to Caesarea Maritima, and then eventually made his way to Rome in chains. And so he was rescued from the unbelievers, but probably not the way he thought he was going to be rescued. And this is the way that God does things with us. A lot of times God answers our prayers, just not how we thought he was going to answer. And he also says at verse 31, pray that my ministry to Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. Oh, I can imagine that this would have been a very memorable time. And I... We don't know what happened to that money, um, but we can assume, or we might assume, that the money was given to the Jews before Paul was arrested, or maybe after Paul was arrested by some of other the other people that were in his group, and it may have softened some of the Jews, and maybe some of the Jews believed, trusted in Jesus. Uh, realized that they were part of a bigger family than just the Jewish race. And he said, verse 32, and pray this, that by God's will, I may come to you with joy and be refreshed together with you. Yeah, he did. He did show up. And we're told in the book of Acts that when he showed up to Jerusalem, he was you know, under house arrest, but he did call for the Roman believers and they came. And it says in the book of Acts that they refreshed his heart. And so we see, as Paul is saying this, he is making his way to Jerusalem. He doesn't yet know that he will be chained. He's been hearing this, but he doesn't yet know how this is going to play out. And when he appeals to Caesar, it very well may be that he appealed to Caesar because he told the Romans in this letter that he wanted to visit them. And appealing to Caesar was a way that he could get to Rome and not be killed there in Jerusalem. Well, as we get into the the final chapter of Romans um, here in a couple of days, <clears throat> we're going to uh, read a lot of names, but I'm looking forward to sharing some things out of that with you. So we'll talk to you then. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we come to you, we realize that our prayers are powerful. We may feel as if they are impotent, but Lord, they're powerful, not because 
of us, not because of our words, but because of what you have done in us by saving us, and because you simply choose to value our prayers. Lord, we read in the book of Revelation that the, the, the incense in the bowls of heaven is the prayer of the saints. Father, thank you so much that it's through Jesus that you have made our prayers pleasing to you. But Lord, we realize that as we look at the last part of Romans 15, that sometimes when we are praying, you are going to answer, but you're not going to answer it in the way that we quite thought. But Lord, we trust you. We know you know infinitely more than we do. We know you have a perfect master plan. And so Lord, I pray that as we pray for individuals, as we pray for our church, as we pray for any number of other things, that we would just offer up our prayers to pray as you've commanded and then rest in you to do it, to answer it in the way that you best see fit. Father, we love you. Thank you so much for loving us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I hope that today's podcast has helped you to understand and obey God's Word so that you can apply it in the power of the Holy Spirit. The Enjoying the Bible podcast is a ministry of the First Baptist Church in Polk City, Florida. Check us out at fbcpolkcity.com. See you next time.